I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Hello, everybody. So before I get started today, I want to mention that I'm going to do some announcements at the end, reminding you about my rate and review campaign this month in honor of my 50th birthday, and that I'm donating to the She Recovers organization, and I really need your help with that. And I also have details about a few other upcoming events that you might be interested in, but I'll save those for the end. So just stay tuned. My guest today is Michelle Grosser. She is a master life coach, a certified nervous system fitness expert, somatic experiencing practitioner, and an attorney, as well as a wife and mother to two young littles. She's also the host of the Calm Mom podcast, where she offers workshop style conversations about high impact habits, work, life, rhythms, parenting, marriage, spirituality, and more. I found Michelle on Instagram. She is at michellegrosser.coach, and I absolutely loved her content. Her reels literally have a calming effect on me and remind me to just slow the hell down. Our conversation today starts with Michelle's story of how she hit the burnout wall reserved especially for high-achieving perfectionists after she gave birth to her littles and was still trying to function as a kick-ass attorney and a respected law professor. You guys, she made my inner perfectionist feel like a total underachiever. But she finally got to a place in her life where she realized that doing it all meant she wasn't enjoying any of it. And she realized that the upstream problem was that her nervous system was seriously dysregulated. And so she set to work to heal the toxic mindsets that were literally driving her over the edge. And the cool part about Michelle is that she's still a high-functioning badass. She's still an attorney. She did keep her children and her marriage. And now she's also a top-rated podcaster and life coach. So she puts to rest the fear that stopping to take care of yourself and sync up your brain with your body will somehow keep you from living your best life. And she is the real deal. I got to say this interview almost didn't happen because my internet was cutting out. My laptop was trying to die. It felt like the universe was totally ganging up on me. But Michelle's calmness as I was dealing with all of that was palpable, which in turn helped me give myself permission to just take the time to reset my router and set up on another computer and then proceed without my perfectly professional microphone and camera, just do the best I could, like whatever. It was okay. And it just goes to show how one person's peace is just as contagious as somebody's anxiety. And we really have to be mindful of how our nervous systems respond to other people's nervous system. You know, we've got these mirror neurons and part of self-care is being mindful of the energy of the people around us. 
So in this conversation, we dive deep into the difference between mindset work and somatic work, which is, you know, thoughts versus feelings, and how a well-regulated nervous system is what allows you to overcome all of the resistance you have to making the changes and breaking bad habits. Because when you metabolize all that misplaced energy, you free up so much bandwidth. So we discussed how this specifically applies to drinkers and overcoming the urge to reach for alcohol or other unhealthy coping mechanisms. So by the end of the interview, you're going to walk away with actionable steps that you can take. So enjoy the interview. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I follow you on Instagram and your posts about nervous system regulation always kind of stop me in what I'm doing. And I just, I feel like your advice and your perspective is so helpful. And I love the work that you do. Would you introduce yourself to my audience? Tell me who you are and what you do. And maybe if you want, talk a little bit about how you came to do what you do. Um, was there a catalyst or a before and after story? Just yeah. introduce yourself. Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here too. This is going to be great. Um, so my name is Michelle Grosser. I am a nervous system expert. Um, I'm also a mom. I have a five and six-year-old girls and I'm married. I live in Miami with my family. Um, and for the better part, I guess 12 years now, I'm a practicing attorney. So I have been a trial attorney. Um, I did that exclusively for the first eight, nine years of my practice. Um, I started in big law for a few years and then left to open up my own shop in 2014. Um, and without much conscious awareness, drove myself straight into burnout, <laughs> like a lot of women do, particularly um, high-achieving women, particularly high-achieving women who start a family. Um, so I was someone who was always a performer, an achiever, all of this subconscious, right? Like top of my class, captain of the team, like all of these different things. Um, and my, my MO was always just production and go mode and really comfortable in my masculine energy and doing things um, really without much awareness what was going on in my body, um, the toll that all of that was taking on my body. I had really strong labels, I think, again, subconsciously around being quote unquote emotional or anything tied to my emotions, um, sensations in my body, very disconnected from things like my intuition. Um, I was just like, go produce, you know, climb the corporate ladder kind of thing. And, um, it served me well, right? It served me well. Like it serves a lot of wish for a subconscious that was that productive. <laughs> yeah. But there's a cost. There's a cost to all of that. Um, and so I found myself with a newborn in the office trying to nurse her while I'm literally like on a deposition. And I was just like done. Um, I wasn't sleeping well. I was miserable. I was irritable. I was edgy. I was not much fun to be around. I was, um, I just wasn't feeling good. I started working with like 
a holistic practitioner because I'm like, it must be like adrenal fatigue or like there's some, there's some reason why I'm feeling so off. Um, and there was, but what I found and, and I kind of did this really long deep dive a whole year where I just studied nervous system health was that at the, at its core and at its foundation, I was just struggling with a severely dysregulated nervous system. Um, and once I was able to grow in my nervous system health and really do some deep inner healing there, um, it was like a domino effect where all of the other things that I found I was struggling with were actually just symptoms of a dysregulated nervous system and they started to heal and they started to dissipate. And then um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, man, this has been so transformative for me. And I know there's so many women experiencing similar things. Like I really want to create a space where I can help resource them. Um, so I thought I would become a coach. And I did this year-long master coach certification program. And it was so interesting because I went into it and I'm like, I just want like, I know I don't want to give advice, right? So I'm like, I just want like tools where I can really help like empower these women. I, I thought it was all about me getting tools to help other people. Yeah. And I went into this thing and my whole world just got turned upside down in the best stinking way. Like the way I saw myself, the way I saw my family, my husband, my children, my own parents, um, the way that I went about my day-to-day, -day, my paradigms around so many different things shifting and really going deep on the nervous system work and now um, that's my passion. I, I've seen and experienced it. So I think, you know, that that in and of itself is the catalyst for wanting to share it with others. Um, and I think there are so many women searching for why they're feeling how they feel and why they're doing the things that they do. Um, and, you know, the science and the medical community and the nervous system work, I think, is starting to merge more than ever. You're hearing more about it, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but so often, you know, this is really the the root of what people are missing holistically for the way that they're doing things and the way that they're feeling. Um, so now I'm just out here sharing that message really of nervous system health. Can you break it down specifically in terms of how you came to diagnose the real problem as being a dysregulated nervous system? Because I can imagine having struggled with high performance and anxiety and all sorts of coping, you know, dysfunctional coping mechanisms and problems and relationships and motherhood and work and blah, blah, blah. Like, how does one see beyond all of that and discover that the answer is a dysregulated nervous system? I know you talk about symptoms of perfectionism and, and being mm -hmm. high functioning, but can you break that down a little bit? Yeah. So I think for me, the way that it came about was just seeing trends, right? Like you're starting to grow in these aware this awareness of your way of being and the things that you are experiencing. Um, and then as you start to look into them, you start to read books, you start to hire your own coaches, you start to work with people, and you're just seeing that the underlying trend in all of these, or at least that's what I experienced, was nervous system. It was how, how is my nervous system functioning? How healthy is my nervous system? And then underlying, you know, what causes a dysregulated nervous system? Well, at its core, it is stress, right? It's stress from traumas that we've experienced, stress from, you know, perceived stress from just our life experience, stress from 
chronic burnout and just holding that that mental load of going at that pace that a lot of us do. Um, so I guess that's how it came about for me is that I was looking at all of these different things. And as I was piecing it together, I'm like, oh, wow, like migraines are a symptom of nervous system dysregulation. Insomnia is a symptom of nervous system dysregulation, anxiety, um, the irritability I was experiencing, so many physical, emotional, and mental symptoms. When I would look into them, I would just see that nervous system was was at the root. And so am I to understand that we all come at our problems where we're projecting them onto our circumstances and we see, you know, too many hours at work, too much stress. Can you specifically articulate the thoughts in your head and what that looked like? Because I think as I listen to you, I understand what stress feels like and I understand, you know, the sensations and anxiety but how does that correspond to your actual narrative that's going on in your head? Yeah. So I think for the years that really led me to burnout, I think the narrative in my head was, it was all about doing. So I would wake up, there was very little thought about having, right? That was all tied to the doing. And there was no thought about being. It was all just about doing. So that creates a sense, a false sense of urgency in everything that you do, which is stressful, which causes dysregulation. So I think that was the first thing. The second thing that I had no understanding and awareness of is that we're in and out beings. So everything that we eat comes in and it has to go out. We drink, we drink, right? It comes in, it goes out. The air we breathe, it comes in, it goes out. But the same is true for our emotions. And when we don't have emotional hygiene, right? When we don't have good um, strategies and tools for processing our emotions, which I didn't have, um, and I thought it was weak to cry or express emotion or heaven forbid I disagree with anyone or express healthy, righteous anger. Like none, there's no space for any of that. I was holding all of that in. So I have this narrative that I'm not I'm not one of those dramatic women or I'm not one of those emotional women, right? And I almost had pride in that, but I didn't realize that that was actually keeping me small and that was actually holding me back and it was causing more problems than it was helping. Um, so learning how to change that narrative um, and really connect with, you know, recognizing emotions as they came up and then in my own body, allowing myself to feel safe enough to express those. Um, for, for whatever reason, over decades, I had been conditioned that the minute that comes up, oof, we recycle it. You shove it back down and you suppress it. So to, to allow my body to feel safe enough to greet it with compassion and be like, hey, it's okay if you actually cry at a sad movie <laughs> or it's okay if you get upset with your husband for making a comment that you feel is really unfair. You don't have to keep the peace at all costs. Learning to do that was a process um, but it really required the mental work first and the narratives. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between the mental work, the mindset work, and then the somatic nervous system work and which comes first? How do you know which to deal with? You know, I definitely have a full respect um, in the way I work with clients for nervous system. And that's mm -hmm. kind of one of the first things we do is put the fire out first. Yeah. But 
I also feel like I tend to rely pretty, pretty heavily in terms of change, yeah. in terms of changing the narrative and changing the, the perspective, broadening the perspective, shifting the diagnosis of the problem as being internal, not external. But can you talk a little bit about the difference as you see it? And mm-hmm. I'm sure that they're weaved together, but mindset work, body work, tell me what your approach is. Yeah, I agree. They are woven together. And I don't think either one of them is linear, right? Right. They're kind of this constellation that are just so intertwined. Um, But I think a good way to just kind of picture it is kind of like an iceberg. And I think, you know, while it's all one iceberg, there's a part that we see above the water, that tip of the iceberg. And that's really from the neck up. That's our mindset work. And then if we want to deal with problems, right, or make changes or we're, we're, we're trying to form new habits and new ways of being, we really have to deal with the whole rest of everything that's under the water, which is our body-based work. And the way our nervous system actually functions is that only 20% of the nerves in our body are carrying messaging from our brain down to our body. So that means that Mindset work is important, um, but at the end of the day, it's only 20% of the battle, right? It's like a four to one tug of war. (laughs) So you really got to make a four lane highway to a one lane dirt road. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's important. And I, and I work with both also, right? It's not like I neglect the the mindset work. It's important. Um, But at the end of the day, 80% of the messaging in your body is coming from your body up to your brain. It's why oftentimes when we're experiencing things like um, anxiety or urges or dissociation or things like that, we can want to tell ourselves, I'm safe, calm down. It's not a big deal. There's nothing going, I can do this. And it might work to a certain extent, but oftentimes it really doesn't make us feel much better. Like it's hard to tell ourselves, calm down, you're safe. And then actually experience in our bodies, a reflection of what we're saying. And the reason why is our body doesn't speak a verbal language, right? Our body speaks a different language, a nonverbal language in movement and gentle and appropriate touch and sound and making noises and um, all of these different things. So we can't just tell our bodies that we're safe or tell our bodies to regulate. We have to show it in ways. Um, So finding ways. Oh, sorry. That was my Um, finding ways that work for your particular nervous system Mm -hmm. um, uh, to help it regulate, to notice, first of all, when you're becoming dysregulated and then things that you can do um, to regulate your nervous system is kind of the whole work. So a lot of it is learning, yes, what are your triggers? What are the the roots under a lot of these things? Um, And then allowing yourself to release those somatically while also being mindful of, you know, the mindset work and the ways in which you're signaling to your body um, to a certain extent, you know, what it is that the change that you want to see. So what does that look like in real-time application? Like yesterday, I woke up with a truck on my chest and Mm -hmm. I'm very clear on what narrative is causing that. I know it's not true. And I know that responding to that narrative is going to set me back. And yet here I am today still kind of carrying that heaviness and doing everything that I can. But how would you tell me, you know, to how do I tell my body it's okay? Like, how does, how do I do that? Yeah. So that's really good. So I think one of the ways that I like to think about that, first of all, is having that awareness, just 
having that calling and waking up and noticing that feeling in your body is such a huge first step. Um, so really feeling into that, like noticing, do I feel that anxiety today in my jaw, right? Sometimes we clench our jaw. We wake up in the morning and it's really tight. Am I noticing it in my neck, in my chest? Um, am I noticing noticing it in my gut? Is there anything else going on that feels really tight and constricted and anxious today? And then you can tap into that. And this is what I like to do. I'm like, does that energy need to be like moved out of me? Is that the type of anxious energy that it is? Or does it really feel like something that just needs some deep breathing and will kind of like pass on its own? And for me and for what I found with most of my clients is that you kind of actually need both. So the way I start is really just allowing, again, when I was talking about being in and out beings, right? Mm -hmm. Something's happened. We don't even know what the triggers are, right? This could be something that happened 30 years ago that we're still processing. But something happens where our brain actually doesn't do a very good job at distinguishing between real threats and perceived threats. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, you're waking up and your system is perceiving some sort of threat, right? The amygdala, the part of your brain that's sounding the alarm is saying, hey, anxious energy, something's going on here. We have to get into fight or flight, right? And then what happens is that thousands of years ago, or if there is a real threat, right, our body starts releasing all of these hormones, things like adrenaline and cortisol that would help us mobilize to actually fight or flee. But now here we are in, you know, 2023 and it's like, I'm just laying in my bed. There's no, there's no real threat, but our body and our brain are still releasing those chemicals. So the adrenaline and the cortisol, these things are still coursing through us. So we have to allow ourselves to metabolize some of that and allow it to move. So what I like to do, shaking works so great for me. And it's just like what it sounds like. I just shake out my arms, my hands, my legs. Our nervous system can regulate quite quickly if we give it the right resources. So just a minute, 90 seconds of shaking like that, um, jumping up around, doing jumping jacks, doing heel drops, um, really allowing yourself to just move in the way that your body know your body knows how to expel this energy, right? It's just misplaced energy. Yeah. So just trusting it in that movement. Um, exercises that help you get out of your head, where those looping thoughts and the ruminating and the things kind of live that can make anxiety worse, and into your body. So body tapping, um, any sort of bilateral movement is great for that. So you you hear like butterfly chest tapping, or even yeah, walking is great. That's bilateral movement, just getting outside and taking a walk. Um, there's so many different resources, but it's allowing your body to expel some of that energy and then some sort of centering practice to really help your body, you know, get back to a space where it feels safe. So that can look like, um, havening where you're literally just kind of crossing your arms and hugging yourself from your shoulders down to your elbows and then back up. That could just look like some breath work or a short meditation or, um, you know, other things that would just be soothing to you. It could be co-regulation, right? It could be hugging your kids or giving your husband a hug or holding hands with somebody, whatever it is that feels safe to you. And you would notice after that becomes a consistent practice, your body becomes really efficient at releasing that and regulating again. Um, and you'll notice that it happens far less frequent that you have those experiences and feeling that way. So um, just to put it into context with yeah. what I'm doing. So today I got up and there's the truck 
you know, and I managed it yesterday. And so I was like, we're going for a fast and hard run today. And I felt so amazing. Yeah. And then within a couple of hours, it starts to creep back in. And I know darn good and well, or I think I do, like I I know that there's something worrying me. And so I work to change the narrative in my mind and then just deal with the, the body. But how do you deal with you know, that, that ongoing management, especially when life is stressful, like there is an external source of the stress that is, that, that needs to be managed or handled, you know, money problems or relationship problems, like whatever it is, you can't just shake that off. So Mm -hmm. how do you take people into kind of either the chronic um, issues that they have or just the ongoing management of issues that are just part of their life. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing in that is that, you know, all of us want to increase our resilience, right? We all have a window of tolerance within which we can handle life and the normal stresses of life because none of us can escape that, right? Like life will keep on lifing. It's just going to keep coming at us, but we want to be able to increase what we can handle without us throwing it without it throwing us into a dysregulated state. So, in order for us to increase our resilience in our nervous system, there's external factors and there are internal factors. So, the external factors are things we're pretty good at controlling, um, and it's making sure that we can actually control the things we can control, right? That we're doing the things we can. So what do those things look like that support a healthy and resilient nervous system? Well, nourishing our body, right? Getting adequate sleep and rest, um, making sure that we're well hydrated. Our neurons need hydration in order to be able to communicate. So we'll notice that you'll find if you're not staying hydrated, you'll notice that you become dysregulated more quickly. Um, moments of stillness. I coach, you know, at least 10 minutes of moments of stillness a day. 10 minutes of movement a day, and then 10 minutes of play a day. Play is one of the most powerful ways to regulate your nervous system. And as women with so many things going on and children and work and a household and a marriage and all of the things, um, I think just as a culture, we've become so disconnected from play. Like that's for kids, right? Like I don't have time to play. Um, But really reconnecting to the things that light us up, right? Not because we have to sit down and play a game with our kids, but because we actually enjoy them. So our hobbies and our passions and our, you know, things that allow us not to be stuck in comparison or, you know, all of the things that we have to do every day um, to to make things run um, is so good for our nervous system. So those are some of the external factors, right? Mm -hmm. And then the internal factors is really, that's where you do that deep inner work. That's dealing with our stuff, right? What, what There's so many things that we're conditioned to in childhood um, that we're so unaware of that are really driving a lot of the ways that we show up, our coping mechanisms, our defense strategies. Um, I have a really great quiz on my website. It's called um, the personality pattern quiz. And there's five different personality patterns and just learning your personality pattern, which is <laughs> your ways of coping. Mm-hmm. Um Right. And learning ways in which to help heal those um, are great for your nervous system, emotional hygiene, learning how to discharge our emotions and release that. And then really just learning our somatic cues. Right. Our body is always communicating with us. 
and most of us, like I was, were really just out of touch with that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that alarm's going off in our head and we do experience that tightness in our chest or whatever it is, but it's like, I got to pack the lunch and I got to get to work and I don't have time to deal with this right now, but our right. alarm system is going off. Right. That dissonance continuing to, you know, silence the messenger instead of listening to the message, it's really dysregulating for our system. Yeah. And I think that is the the thing we are most resistant to. Yes. We are resistance. We are resistant to change because our brain is telling us, I don't have time for myself. I don't have time to pay attention to the smoke alarm, disable it and move on. Like in the bigger picture, how does shifting your focus into the nervous system allow you to overcome the very resistance to change that is causing the dysregulation? Like how, how, how do you yeah. interrupt that cycle? That's such a great question. Um, and this is how, so there's three steps to change, right? And I think this is, I always start with my clients here because the resistance is going to come up mm -hmm. because our nervous system will always choose the familiar, even if it's not what serves us best, even not, though it's not what we want logically, right? Our nervous system is always going to prefer that. So the first step to change is just awareness that there is something that needs to be changed, something we want to change. And if we're here, you know, we already have that step and that's, that's great and that's, it's important. And then the second step is gathering information. And that's where we go out and like listen to the podcast and read the books and like, we're like, okay, I know I want to stop this habit or start this habit. How do I actually go about doing that? And we learn, we learn, we learn. So many of us get stuck in that step. And we actually get a dopamine hit mm -hmm. when we learn new information, right? So it can be really, yeah, yeah. Well, like I love listening to podcasts. That I'm not going to apply, but I sure know I should be doing it. Oh, and that's the nail on the head. And that's the third step is you have to take action, okay. right? You've got to take action. And that's where so many of us yeah, struggle. And that's why it's so important to have a coach or someone to help keep you accountable. A, you know, your husband, a partner, your own, your children, anyone that can help keep you accountable. And I think expecting the resistance um, and anticipating it and having steps in place is really helpful. And I think having tools, um, when that resistance comes up, um, to do both somatic tools and mindset tools, right? It's like, okay, I have this urge. So for me right now, something that I am trying to rewire in my brain for the last few weeks is I don't want to touch my phone for the first hour that I'm awake. I know that when I pick up my phone, even when I'm laying in bed, right, when I and like start checking my emails or checking my podcast downloads or all of this stuff, I know I experience more anxiety during the day. Um, and the science supports all of that. So I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But I have to catch myself, right? It's like, it's so patterned that right away, I want to just grab my phone and check my social media. And I, I catch myself, which is the first step that actually like unlocks my old neural pathway. Mm -hmm. And then the science is showing that you then have four hours to make the decision that is contrary to the way that you previously operated to act differently, right? To create that new neural pathway. So then I would have to choose, I'm not gonna grab my phone. I notice the urge, I'm not gonna grab my phone. And then I take whatever the new pattern is I wanna do. Instead, I'm going to journal, or I'm gonna listen to a meditation, or I'm gonna do a breath work, or I'm gonna pray, or whatever it is. And if I actually don't take action in that new way of being within the four hours, the brain science is showing that that previous neural pathway actually strengthens yeah. and gets stronger, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like 
for me, that's motivating when I'm not like, I don't necessarily want to do the new way of being. I'm like, oh, Michelle, you better do that because otherwise you're going to be strengthening this old way that you don't want to up. It's not serving you anymore. You don't want to be there. And that helps to motivate. Which speaks to, you know, I like to to identify the words that we use. They are very important. And, and so yeah. talking about being in a whole, like let's mm-hmm. relanguage that. But I know from myself having overcome alcohol use disorder and working with women who go through that, the perception that you're in a hole because you have tried to correct your behavior so many times and and then ultimately strengthened the old neuropathway, which then makes it that much harder. And can you speak to how that can feel so hopeless and what cognitive narrative you might suggest to go along with the the failures that you're going to experience because failures are part of learning. Yes, it is. It's so that's so beautiful. So here's the f- I have a couple of thoughts on that, I guess. The first one is that I truly deeply believe this in my bones and I just see it over and over is that every single one of us is absolutely doing the best that we can with the resources and information that we have at any given moment. So when we have relapses or we make a decision that doesn't feel like the right one, there's something that was happening in that moment where we weren't as resourced as maybe we could have or should have been and we did the best we could, right? And things happen. Our parents raised us the best way that they could. I believe that for all of our parents, whether they did a good job or not in our in our mind and in our labels, right? With the resources and information that they had, we're all doing the best we can with our own children too. And I think that applies for, for anything. Um, so I think that's a good starting point. And I think what that leads to when we can really embody that is um, just compassion. Yeah. Compassion. And I think so often we've been conditioned to think that if we're hard on ourselves, that that's going to motivate us to do the right things. Um, But your brain can only learn. Your brain can only change when it feels safe. Yeah. So if that inner critic is coming in and it's really harsh and you're hearing your mom's voice or your dad's voice or someone else's voice, right? Telling you, you messed up again, you're a failure, you're never going to figure this out, all of these things. That's not a place that is motivating. Um, The science shows that, right? That is not a place that is going to get us to be taking action that serves us well. So allowing ourselves to do the mindset work to shift some of that, um, I think is really powerful in understanding that it happens. Like you said, it's part of the journey. Today is better than tomorrow, right? I can start back today. I can resource myself. You know, where did I get to a place where I where I misstepped, right? Was I not surrounding myself with the right circle? Was I not going to the right places? Yeah. Was I not taking care of my body and getting enough rest and whatever it is, right? We all have these things in place. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And then specifically, if it comes up, um, as an inner critic or whatever that little voice is that comes up afterward that does make you feel like you're in a hole or you're what I don't I don't I don't know what it is that comes up for you um, is understanding I do a lot of parts work with my clients okay. and understanding that that's actually just a part of us right we all have different parts um, without having any sort of disorder. It's just normal, right? We, that's why sometimes we say like, well, a part of me feels like doing this, but a part of me feels like doing that. We just have different parts. So if there's a part of you that comes forward after you, you know, 
a lot of work has been done with um with um, people with eating disordered eating mm-hmm. and that same thing. And I'm sure a lot of your audience can relate, right? It's like I've binged or I've um, had a drink or, or, or I'm in like this cycle that doesn't feel good. And then this voice comes up and it actually brings so much shame and makes me feel worse about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find yourself in this really difficult cycle, right? A really frustrating cycle um, is understanding that all of our parts at their core um, have a highest intention. So instead of saying, shut up, inner critic, you're wrong, you're just like, and pushing it aside and trying to silence it, you can actually, you can do this through journaling or you can do it with a practitioner who does parts work, but you can actually be like, hey, I hear you. What's your, like, what are you trying to do here? How are you trying to help me? And a lot of times that inner critic, it doesn't do it very gracefully, yeah. right? It feels harsh, but it's really trying to help you. It's trying to make you better. It's trying to make you make better choices. It's trying to, so you can actually have a conversation with those subconscious parts um, and be like, Hey, I get that you don't want me to run these patterns anymore. I get that you understand that drinking the way I've been drinking doesn't serve me well. Um, But instead of beating me up about it, Mm -hmm. how about you try to like cheerlead next time or be a little bit more of a pep talk or something. And you'll notice that will also rewire different ways of being yeah. and the sounds, right? The voices that we hear, um, the ways that we speak to ourselves, the tone of that will change. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, where I coach is that once you realize you've made the mistake, now the learning opportunity is to change the way you're responding to the yeah. mistake. And sure. What I hear you saying is that, which I absolutely love, is that that part of you that was like, screw it, we're going to have a drink, you know, whatever, like they have an intention, they have a purpose. And what they're actually pointing to is an upstream bottleneck that you're going to need to deal with. Like when you get in that moment, the way I teach with nervous system, I often say like, if the situation exceeds, the stress of it exceeds your bandwidth to handle that then yeah yeah your 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 mind is just running a subconscious program and your nervous system goes into that automatic reflex and so those parts of us that are exposing the mm-hmm. you know automatic reflex and ask calling our attention it is not how much willpower you have in the moment to no, say no to the no. drink it's no. why you're ne- going upstream to address the the lack of self-care, too much on your plate, not speaking up in your relationship, you know, all of the bullshit that you're putting up with and expecting of yourself, that downstream person is just kind of the, what do you say, red herring or the the canary in the coal mine. It's telling you that there's something that needs to be dealt with. So um, yeah, it's, it's so important to change the way you respond to yourself. There are no mistakes. There's just data points. That's it. That's exactly right. And I think it's so, so I think for many people, and and you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but um, reaching for that drink as, as a patterned response to whatever's going on is a form of, of dissociating. Right. And that's exactly what you were saying is that I'm going, you know, I, I have, I'm being overloaded in my nervous system and my default response is to grab a drink to help numb some of that. Right. That's why, you know, I, when I think about my relationship, even with alcohol, I've recently been really telling myself like, Hey, Michelle, 
sobriety is a superpower. Like, why are you reaching for this drink? Is it because, you know, you and your husband are making a margarita while you're having dinner? Or are you trying to cope with a long day and this is your way to take the edge off because there are better tools for you to do that. And if you can learn to deal with that upstream stuff, which is what you're referring to, sobriety can be your superpower. You don't have to default to this to deal with what you're dealing with. And I think something else you said that's so interesting too is about um, that part of you wanting to grab a drink is like exposing Mm -hmm. some of that upstream stuff. I think that's absolutely true. And I think another way to flip that that's also true is that it's actually, it's trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the real, the brave work and the scary work and the discovery of like, what, when I reach for this, what is that part of me that wants this drink trying to protect me from? Is there a little, you know, nine-year-old Michelle inside of me that there's something coming up in this moment where a drink is a really good way for me to kind of continue to just numb that and protect it and not have to deal with it? Because subconsciously, right, it would be too painful to go there. Yeah. And where I want to kind of land this plane is for you and or me to kind of report from the other side about why this work is so worth it. Because what you just said there about being too afraid, there's something in there that you're afraid to look at. Like when you realize that you don't have to be afraid of anything inside of you, like there's lessons and there's a way to release it. And all of the things that are coming up, they're actually, they're invitations to rewire your subconscious so that you're no longer carrying that belief that you're not worthy or that somehow you have to prove yourself over and over or that you're not good enough. Like when you turn and look at that, that is, that is the freedom and so mm-hmm. when, when we think, you know, and I just had this on a call last night where somebody said, I'm afraid to go there. Yeah. I want to sell tickets to the there. Like I want mm-hmm. you and I to talk about like, there is nothing better than going there. You don't have to be afraid of going on the inside. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about why, I mean, why this is so liberating personally? Yeah. Yeah. So I can, um, and I guess I also want to acknowledge the people that do feel a lot of fear yes. in going. There. Yes. And I guess I'll just start by saying I um, I don't think it's it's privilege. That's not the right word. But I acknowledge that I have not experienced a lot of capital T yeah. trauma, right? Like I have experienced just, you know, my parents, a divorce or something like that. But I have not experienced some things that are, are, are traumatic to a different level that other people have experience. So I acknowledge that going back to a lot of that stuff, especially if you experience chronic um, or complex post-traumatic stress disorder or things like that, very, very scary. And I, and I understand that. And I think that that's part of also why you want to work with someone who can help create a safe space for you to go there because you're absolutely right that on the other side of there, on the other side of that work is where that's, that's the growth, right? That's where the freedom comes. That's where the change comes. Um, I was going to say something about, about going to that space, to that scary space. I don't know. It'll come back to me, but yeah, I think that, um, so often, oh, here's what I was going to say is that, okay. So trauma has no formal 
definition, right? Um, it's defined in a lot of ways because trauma is subjective. So Colleen, you and I can experience the same thing. We can witness a horrific car crash or something. And I can just walk away and go do my groceries and be fine. And that can be something that requires years of therapy for you because it's so subjective. It's not what we experienced, but it's how our body, what happened in our body when we experienced that trauma. So at its most basic, um, I, I tend to explain trauma as something that happened too soon, too much, too fast, right? We've heard that before. Now, the thing is, is when we're not careful with our healing journey in our nervous system, our healing can actually cause additional trauma if it's too much, too soon, too fast. Yeah. So if you are feeling a lot of fear and going certain places, you can trust some of that um, because your nervous system literally might, and you, that's when you get to a point where you kind of titrate some of this stuff. And it's like little by little, we'll go back there for just a minute, but you don't have to re-experience that. Yeah. Or we'll, you know, we'll deal with this because it, it can cause additional trauma. But I think that's where part of the work comes in working with the coach and also um, being pushed a little bit outside of your comfort zone is that we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Are we actually fearful to that depth or has this become an excuse for not wanting to be uncomfortable? Right. And that is different because emotional discomfort, leaning into that discomfort, forget it. Like once you can get to a place where you garner enough courage and bravery to be uncomfortable, whew, the freedom that will come from that, the growth that will come from that, um, the whole difference in the way you see everything, your paradigms, your communication skills, the way you parent, the growth in your marriage, um, your joy, so much is on the other side of that emotional discomfort. Yeah. And I really appreciate that not only did you you know, I can be a bull in the china shop as we all can. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. But I, I appreciate that you stopped that conversation and introduced the difference between big T and little t. And I think that a good litmus test, you know, I mean, nothing is 100%, but if you know you're dealing with big T, that might require um, you for sure want to get involved with a support, a licensed clinician or a coach or somebody who yeah. can guide you into looking at that. You don't just pack a lunch and, and expect that to go well. <laughs> I'll just write my yeah. journal today and come out on the other <laughs> side. But if yeah. you know that you're not dealing with big T trauma, like I also am I'm not going to say privileged either, but I don't, I, I don't have any, you know, horrific, traumatic violence or perpetrated abuse upon me. So for the most part, my resistance to change is, you know, my own unwillingness to be uncomfortable. And so I that's think right. that that's a really good, that's a really good way to, to, to evaluate whether or not you're just you know, become, you've, you've developed a habit of avoidance, which that's all it is. It's, you know, even this languaging and labeling ourselves as why well, I don't like to deal with my feelings. Well, feelings are you know, like you have a nervous system and you have thoughts that cause feelings. So you're dealing with your feelings, like just, just the stories we tell ourselves about what we don't want to put up with, or I'm not a feeling person. Like, yeah, you are yeah. actually, you're human. <laughs> you are. So there's that. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. The, the, the common experience that binds all of us. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Michelle, can you tell our, my listeners where they can find you? I definitely want them to find you on Instagram. You also mentioned a personality quiz or something. So you might have resources on your website. Tell us all about you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at michellegrosser.coach. Um, the quiz is in my bio. It's just, it'll take you a couple of minutes, um, but there's a landing page for each of the five personality patterns. And I have gotten more DMs and emails from people being like, wow, I've never feel I've never felt so seen, right? Or like it just felt like it was describing me to a T. So that's been a really great resource for a lot of women. Um, and then I also have a podcast that we're gonna have Colleen on um, as a guest shortly, and it is called the Calm Mom Podcast. And what we do there is we help resource ambitious women, um, many of whom are also raising kids, to learn how to regulate their nervous system um, to help manage things like anxiety and overwhelm and burnout and everything that comes along with that. So those are the best places to find me. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and I'm so excited to continue the conversation over on your podcast. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. All right. So thank you guys for listening. And I hope you found that interview and conversation to be as helpful and as enlightening as I did. And if you do appreciate this episode or and all the other episodes that I put out, I'm asking you for a favor. So this is my birthday month. And in honor of turning 50, I'm running a rate and review campaign because reviews are the only way I can grow the podcast. When you post a review, you're leaving a digital mark that you were here. And the algorithm is much more likely to suggest my show to new people. And I've set the goal to get 100 reviews by the end of August. I turned 50 on the 29th. And I am going to show my gratitude for your effort by donating $10 for every review to my favorite organization, She Recovers. That's a nonprofit that provides multiple daily support meetings for women in recovery from anything and everything, as well as trauma-informed yoga classes, retreats and conferences, training for professionals. I actually went through their program to get my recovery coach certification. She Recovers is my home tribe. The women I've met in that organization are my people, and the support and services they offer are invaluable. So I look forward to writing them a big fat check because if I get 100 reviews, that's a thousand bucks and you can help me do that. Now, if you have an Apple phone or the iTunes app, if you have an Android phone, it's pretty simple. You go to the Recover with Colleen page with all the episodes, not the individual episode page that just has the show notes. You go to the 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 show page and then scroll all the way to the bottom, like past the episodes where, and you'll find it says rate and review. And then you just click and leave a review. You can also go ahead and leave a five-star rating for a double whammy if you're, if you're wanting to do that. But if you're not on Apple or you don't have iTunes, then it is complicated. And depending on the podcast podcast app that you use, you might only be able to leave a comment, a heart or a five star rating, like all of those things I appreciate, do whatever you can. But I'm also going to put my email address in the show notes. So if you send me your review, I'll be able to screenshot it and just post it on my socials. It's not quite the same thing, but it'll really help me anyway. Um, you don't have to use your name. So if you don't want 
if you want to be anonymous or you want a nickname, be clear about that when you do it. But I'll be able to screenshot those and post them on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, whatever. So I really appreciate your help with this. I know it takes a little bit of your time. And I'll be honest, it feels cringy, not a big one to ask for, you know, reviews. But I'm asking anyway, because listener support really matters. And then in other announcements, if you have not yet signed up and taken my masterclass, it's a free masterclass on emotional sobriety. If you are a person who's interested in starting a period of sobriety and it feels overwhelming or you you're in and out of sobriety and you realize it's not about alcohol but all of your thoughts and beliefs about alcohol are getting in your way of either enjoying sobriety or drinking like now you're just in a big pickle damned if you do damned if you don't take my free master class on emotional sobriety i lay out how to separate your thoughts from the neutral circumstance, how to make sense of your feelings. And I also lay out my approach to, you know, becoming emotionally sober and why that's really the ultimate goal. You know, pursuing your own happiness, that's a goal worth pursuing. Being sober, not as much fun. So take the masterclass if you're interested in learning more about emotional sobriety. At the end of that masterclass, I also lay out my 12-week program, the, the next chapter. So if you're at a point in your life where you're ready to make some big changes and really commit the time and energy it takes to change the way you think, because that's really what this is about. It's not about drinking. It's, it's a thinking problem. If you're ready to learn how to regulate your nervous system, learn how to manage your mind, rewire your dopamine so that you're motivated to feel good instead of just look good and check all the boxes and keep yourself on the hamster wheel, that is what I do in the next chapter. Um, it's kind of like signing up for a college course. It's immersive, in-depth. We cover topics from stress to dopamine to breath work to boundaries and codependent relationships and all of the things that are going to need to be addressed in order to step into living a life you no longer want to escape. That's what I do in the next chapter. And so whether you just want a free hour of content where I give you step-by-step -step processes for how to start addressing the stuff on your own, or whether you're actually interested in working with me as a coach, get in the show notes and sign up for the masterclass. And then uh, whether you sign up for the masterclass or not, if you're interested in joining my tribe, I have a private community over on Circle, so it's not on Facebook, and it's called the Bitch Free Recovery Zone. And it's for emotionally soberish women who are working on self-care and common sense they are looking to change their attitudes about alcohol, but the, the group is not focused on alcohol. We are focused on changing our mindsets, regulating our nervous system, and just taking full accountability for our thoughts and feelings. I do have an amazing course in there that's included when you join called the Foundations of Emotional Sobriety that will walk you through, you know, one step at a time, becoming more mindful of your thoughts and how to frame the questions in your head so that you can expand your perspective, see what else might be true, get out of your own way. 
And joining that community is just a way to support yourself in a really small way. It's $20 a month for access to a very small group of women who are focused on emotional sobriety and accountability and guidance and support and action-oriented conversations. People are making friends in there. I'm in there every single day offering coaching, sharing my own bullshit, hilarious stories from life. So it's a way to get to know me better. It's a way to plug into a source of regular inspiration and consistent exposure to the mindsets, the growth mindset that allows you to change who you are at a fundamental level. Science shows that the best way to change your mind is to surround yourself with people who think and act the way you want to. So joining the Bitch Free Recovery Zone is a small action you can take to move yourself in the right direction. So I hope to see you in there. And thanks for listening. Once again, I have not re-recorded my ending, so I will take us out. Do, 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 do. I'll stop.